Internet. I'm John Bailey, and on this truncated episode, I review the Pixar sequel to Finding Nemo, Finding Dory, and the Kevin Hart, Dwayne The Rock Johnson action comedy, Central Intelligence. Let's get started. Hey, you. Hi, can you help me? Yeah. Mm-mm, not good. Pixar's been in an odd situation lately. It's seemed since the major acquisition by Disney and the combination between Pixar and Disney and the Walt Disney Animation Studios, it's felt like the Disney movies have been able to kind of up their game and the Pixar movies are kind of stuck doing sequels. And yet from everything I hear, Pixar is pretty much the same as it's ever been. It's been very creator driven. It's always been about the story and characters first you know so the way they talk it sounds like nothing has changed behind the scenes and yet there's been this shift in focus to do monster the monsters in characters in college and the continuation of the cars universe and all these different sequel ideas. I mean, even now there's only one new IP from Pixar coming up and it's about Dia de los Huertos. So it's almost following on the heels of the Book of Life from last year. And everything else is Toy Story 4, Cars 3, and Incredibles 2. And it's felt like Pixar has been in a bit of a rut Whereas Disney has been doing extraordinarily well with stuff like Wreck-It Ralph and Frozen and Zootopia and, you know, this rising quality in the Disney animated pictures. Yet Pixar has been kind of muddling around in either just okay stories or sequels or really unnecessary sequels. And that's where we come to Finding Dory. I don't know anybody that was clamoring for a Finding Nemo sequel. I'm sure there are people who probably wanted more in that universe, but basically this time around, it's the flip. Instead of finding, instead of finding the lost character Nemo, here Dory is going off to find her parents, and we're getting more backstory for Dory's character. You know, we get to see a lot of flashbacks to when Dory was a little... Um, I guess fry is what you call it. You know, the little baby fish with, you know, and she's like this little circular blob with these big round eyes and it's cute and all, but ultimately I never really got behind the story. Yeah. It's a flip of the original story. Instead of finding a lost character, a character finds out more about themselves and I get the impetus, but at the same time, I never really, felt like it was a necessary story. Uh, basically what happens is Dory remem- starts remembering her parents and gets a little flash into her, into her furthest memories. And she decides to follow that to a, I guess, fish sanctuary, hospital, aquarium, something or another. I'm not quite sure what to call it, but yeah, it's this, it's this place where sick fish can go to heal, but they're also put on display in the aquarium and then they're sh- released into the wild. I'm not, 
I'm not quite sure what else to compare it to because it's not exactly an aquarium where it's where they're on display, but yet there's a whole but it's designed like an aquarium, except for the fact that it's also like a rehabilitation center, I guess. I'm not quite sure what to call it, but Dory returns to that and splits off from Marlin and Nemo who have come along and they each go their separate ways and then Dory teams up with this octopus played by Ed O'Neill, formerly of Married with Children, currently of Modern Family fame, as this really well-animated octopus character who wants to go to Cleveland. Uh, This year has been uh, awash with references to Cleveland. We got one in Civil War because the Russo brothers are from Cleveland, and and now in this movie... (laughs) you get a reference to an aquarium opening up in Cleveland. I'm not sure what's with the Cleveland references lately, but hey, you know, I'll take it. Anyway, Dory teams up with the with Hank the Octopus to find her parents, and Marlon and Nemo find their own way in via uh, a sea lion played by Idris Elba and this really, like, like, just cracked out looking loon <laughs> and it's it's a lot about dory tr- going through her memory and trying to re- and trying to remember her past and us learning about how dory came to learn the just keep swimming song and how to read english and how to speak whale there's a character played by caitlin olson from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia thing. And like I said, it's it's well thought out and designed, and they, like they didn't half-ass it the way I felt like Cars has always kind of felt half-assed and not really well thought out. But at the same time, I feel like seeing the original story of Finding Nemo was so touching and unique that trying to recapture that is not is never going to bring back equal results like this time around like this the story this time around isn't honestly as compelling as the first time around you know it's great that fans of dory get to learn her backstory but i never really cared to learn that she's where that she spoke whale from a whale shark and that she lived in a conservation aquarium of sorts. I didn't need to know about Dory's parents, you know? Like, I figured if they were going to do a Finding Nemo sequel, if it wasn't going to be about Dory, it was going to be about Nemo finding Marlin, you know? It was going to be that flip, where it was about Marlin learning to let go and Nemo you know, doing something on his own. But, you know, it's, I don't want to say it's bad because it's not bad. It's, 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 you know, compared to stuff like the good dinosaur, the cars movies, it's, it's better than those, but compared, just compared to its original movie, Finding Dory is ultimately unnecessary. Like we didn't need to know that much about 
story and we didn't need to know didn't need a whale shark character or Ty Burrell's beluga named Bailey. Oh boy. The references the correlations to my own life are awash in this movie. Oh boy, the cor- the references to my own life are all are kind of scary in this movie. Anyway, it's not terrible, but I feel like they could have devoted this time to going somewhere else, like maybe go to a different part of the ocean. We didn't need to go to another, we didn't need to go to an aquarium. We could have gone to another reef. We could have learned about overfishing. And and I get that that's contentious and they did, and I know they got in trouble for depicting, um, you know, uh, I think the original draft one of the original drafts was depicting an orca whale in captivity a la sea world and that they got into some heat with that and i fe- and if they tried to talk more about overfishing and contentious things like what's going on in the south china sea and the battle for water rights between china the philippines indonesia vietnam and all those different countries around that area then they would have lost out on money, but it would have been an um, you know it would have been an interesting story, you know it would have been interesting to look look at things from like the fish's perspective, while the you know, while it may have stuck in the craw of the you know Asian market as it were, but I don't know, I ra- I would have rather they focused on a new original idea rather than continuing the same story. It's like when they announced Toy Story four. Toy Story 3 was the perfect bookend. We don't need a Toy Story 4. If you want to continue Toy Story, do some do a different set of toys. You know, we don't need to know more about you know, Woody and Buzz and all of them. I get that they're the famous characters, but Pixar built itself on being you know, this great producer of original content. You know, aside from the early Toy Story 2 as part of their deal with Disney, as a three-picture deal, all of their stuff has pretty much been original stuff. It was Toy Story, A Bug's Life, Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo, Incredibles, Cars, Ratatouille, WALL-E, Up, Brave, and then Good Dinosaur. And then as it goes on, then it starts going into the the sequels and the spinoffs and the... It's... It felt like they were falling into the same trap that a lot of Hollywood studios fall in, where this is this is uh, where they've got a quantifiable commodity, where they've got something that they know is going to make money, and they decide to work with that rather than try something new, which is what they've always done. You know, I feel it feels like since uh, they finished all those stories because in the Trailer for Wally. They talk about how there was this one meeting where they design, where they pre, uh, where they, where they decided on the entire Pixar lineup, all leading up to Wally, and it was like the stories for Finding Nemo, Monsters Inc., The Incredibles, Cars, and Ratatouille were all decided at that meeting. And then, and it all ended with Wally. Maybe Ratatouille wasn't in there, but there was like all those early Pixar movies were thought out at this one initial pitch meeting, 
except for Wally because they didn't know how to make that one work. And then then took them that one the longest to finally finally come to the big screen. And I feel it feels like since then they like it feels like they peaked with up and then everything since then has kind of just been plateauing. You know, they did great with Toy Story 3, but then like everything else has been like Cars 2 and Brave was just kind of okay and the good dinosaur had so many problems. Like they had a little bit of a upturn with Inside Out, but everything else has just been kind of middling. I guess that's just me having grown up watching all these Pixar movies and seeing, you know, how they how they shine with original pro- when they go with an original property that when they stick to the the longer they stick to sequels, it feels like the more they're wasting their time when they could be trying all kinds of things. Like they could be trying to adapt stories. Like instead of just coming up with their own stories, what if Pixar adapted a kid's book? What if Pixar took, um, I guess like maybe frog and toad or, you know, maybe something from Beatrix Potter, something that's a kid's, you know, a kid's property that Disney passed on to Pixar and Pixar came up with it. I guess, I know Pixar has always been about creating their own ideas, but I, I, I feel like they could do more than just cranking out sequels anymore. But, you know, those aren't my decisions. Those are the higher ups at Disney and Pixar. And if they want to tell the stories with the characters that, you know, if they want to play with the toys they already have instead of making new ones, then ain't nothing we can do about it. Anyway, Finding Dory is dec- Finding Dory is not as good as the first one, but it's not terrible. So if you want to go see it, have a good time. Did you see that, Mom? I did the thing. I did the thing, Mom. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember those backflips you used to do? Let's do the flip. Oh. That was so close one for this weekend it was a very light weekend for some reason central intelligence starring kevin hart and Dwayne the rock johnson as former high school classmates so i think they're playing 10 years younger than their actual ages so i guess good for them but yeah the story is Dwayne the rock johnson it was a fat kid you know a more traditional samoan let's say in high school and so he was picked on a lot and there was a scene at the high school like pro like like it was like pre-prom and it was like this last big assembly before graduation and uh Dwayne the Rock Johnson's character as a kid was chased out by a bunch of bullies from the locker room and shows up naked and Kevin Hart is the only kid and Kevin Hart's character is the only kid that's actually nice to him and gives the guy and gives the rock his letterman jacket to cover up and get away. And 20 years later, Kevin Hart is an accountant is kind of a middle managing. It's kind of a mid-level accountant and getting passed by, by the younger kids in his office and his wife, is, and his wife, who was his high school sweetheart, wants to have a baby, and Kevin Hart is kind of feeling in a rut when he hears back from 
Dwayne the Rock Johnson's character, and they meet up one night, and it turns out the guy got and there's like this great joke uh, where Dwayne the Rock Johnson's like, I worked six hours, I worked out six hours a day every single day for twenty years. Anybody can do it. <laughs> uh, they they really do have great chemistry in this movie. Anyway, as it turns out. Anyway, it turns out that Dwayne The Rock Johnson works for the CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency, and because of him and this whole time, like, Kevin Hart's character has been his emergency contact and, like, he's gone on and on about Kevin Hart's character being his best friend in high school. Like, Dwayne The Rock Johnson is playing a massive dork in this movie wearing a fanny pack and unicorn t-shirts. And he really is, I mean, as far as characters go, this is the most out of character I've seen outside of stuff like the game plan. Because even in um, Journey to the Center of the Earth 2, he's still playing his kind of beefcake-y, like, tough guy. You know, his, essentially a continuation of his wrestling persona. And here he's actually playing this nerd. He's playing this former nerdy guy from high school who got buff, who worked out and lost all his weight and got buff. And so he's still a nerd. He's still this complete and total nerd, but he's also super, but now he's just super buff. It's kind of like how Vin Diesel plays D&D and has since high school, yet he's this super macho masculine character. As the story goes on, Kevin Hart is caught between the the CIA who thinks The Rock has gone rogue and The Rock who was just like this imposing figure who would like, Kevin, no matter how much Kevin Hart says he's not in, Dwayne The Rock Johnson keeps, you know, the, the, as soon as Kevin Hart thinks he's out, Dwayne, the, Dwayne just keeps pulling him back in. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's the story is kind of generic. What what makes this movie is Kevin Hart and Dwayne The Rock Johnson's chemistry. Their chemistry on screen is electric. Like, this is some of the best comedy I've seen from both of these guys. Because as charismatic as The Rock is, he's not really known... He's, like, he, doesn't, he hasn't really knocked comedy out of the park. Like, he had a great bit in The Other Guys, but he's never, like, when he's led a movie and it's a comedy, it's, like, the game plan for Disney. Or, uh, what is this? I'm trying to think of his comedies. Like, he's mostly known for action stuff, where he, that's where he's best known. And his comedy stuff is either terrible or just forgettable. And here, he is, he, he and Kevin Hart play perfectly against each other. And it's I th and it's also like this nice look at nostalgia and looking back on your childhood and especially your high school years and how you know maybe they you know maybe you sh and how you shouldn't really hold those years to like this onto this pedestal where they're like the greatest years of like you shouldn't be focused so much. On your high school years. At least that's what I kind of got out of it. Because the characters are focused. Like Dwayne's character. Is so obsessed about. 
his high school life and like, oh, Kevin Hart's my best friend. He's been my best friend. Have you met my best friend? This is my best friend. Like he's, he is a total dork who got, was treated nice by somebody. And now that guy is their best friend. So I really like how their stories played out and they, they were the best working off of each other. And Oh God, I'm trying to think. I, I mean, because there's that one line about his workout and how he lost all the weight, and the, the, and, but I can't remember specific stuff. I mean, there's like the scene from the trailer where Kevin Hart's in the mail uh, cart, and it's like I have a, I have a, I have a plan. It might get us killed, but if we live, it'll be a totally boss story. You in? No, no, I'm not. Not in. No, I'm not. So I mean, Kevin Hart's kind of continuing that. Chris Tucker style character that he's been playing since he started getting in movies. It felt Kevin Hart hasn't had the like most stellar movie career. Like the, whatever the one about the wedding was with Josh Gad, that one was terrible and ride along wasn't, you know, it was all right. Like it was decent, but it wasn't like, like the funniest thing out there. Like it doesn't really, you know, it's it's not really. It's just more of Kevin Hart acting like a Chris Tucker character would, and here it's it is that. But the way it's mixed with uh, the Rock is it's like the best mixture. Like he he Kevin Hart's been mixed with these different actors in these different settings, and they've tried to make him, and they tried to give him like a formula that would work for him as an actor, but nothing's really, like, set him apart. Here, this is the perfect mixture. I would see an infinite number of movies with Kevin Hart and Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Like, like how they did that entire series with Bob Hope and D- uh, Dean Martin, the Road to X series, Road to Morocco, Road to wherever. They parody that in Family Guy with Stewie and Brian. Or like how like there were these always these continuing series like how Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor did a whole bunch of movies where they played different characters but they were always acting off of each other. I want something like that. I want that with Dwayne the Rock Johnson and Kevin Hart because they were they were like a match made in heaven because their comedy worked perfectly together. They're able to bounce off each other like electrons and it's just amazing to watch and. This really, the more I think about it, it it's not the best comedy I've seen all year, but I think that duo is what makes that movie better than anything else I've seen from either of them. And I kind of want them to just keep doing that, but not sequelize it. Like, we don't need more sequels about them in the CIA. I would go for a thing where, like, Kevin Hart's the tough guy who gets into fights and Dwayne The Rock Johnson has to finish them. I would see something like that, you know, where they keep, where they change the dynamic a little bit, but it's still the same comedy energy. I really, oh, God, the more I think about this movie, the more I remember how funny it is and how good of a time I had watching it. Even though, you know, there are bits that I would have changed in retrospect, kind of, you know, fix ways that I would have improved characters. Maybe like, I, I think some characters may have been a little miscast. Like I feel like his wife is beautiful, but 
like she it feels like they could have given her more to do like i feel like she is uh secondary to the story which is just the writing and they wanted to focus more on uh the rock and kevin hart i don't know i feel like a better actress could have taken that and made it a more memorable character and i feel like the cameos and the surprise appearances because i don't want to give those away but there was a surprise appearances about Dwayne The Rock Johnson's crush from high school and his old partner. And I don't want to give it away. I want you to see the movie itself and find out who those people are. But I really dug what they did with them. And I really recommend this movie to anybody who's a fan of action comedies. Like, I'm trying to think. I wouldn't put this as high up as Hot Fuzz. Like, I feel like Hot Fuzz had had a much tighter script and story, but I feel like the energy and the humor is on the same level as the other guys. You know, the only difference is the other guys flipped the script more to be a subversion of action tropes, and I feel like Central Intelligence is... doesn't quite do that, but it's still a hilarious comedy for the most part, and especially because of Kevin Hart and The Rock. That does it for the reviews. After the break, I'll be back to talk more Pixar. keep the discussion light this week so rather than go into like sequels or the or espionage on film i decided to just kind of continue what i was going into in my finding door review and look at pixar studios and kind of their history and what's been going on lately so for those who don't know pixar initially started out as part of ilm Industrial Light and Magic, which was George Lucas's production company and effects warehouse. They're, you know, the guys who worked for Pixar in the beginning started out working on the computers for ILM, doing the effects for stuff like Return of the Jedi and Young Sherlock Holmes. And eventually, as the 80s progressed, Steve Jobs, in that period between when he was fired from Apple to before he came back with the iPod, invested a bit in the company after George Lucas kind of let them go their own way and they founded Pixar and they founded Pixar which is initially kind of a computer sales division I guess where they wanted to sell the computers to companies and they used the computers to do these little animations as like a demo to say hey here's what your computer can do and that's what Steve Jobs was invested in And as the 80s went into the 90s, that's when they started doing little commercials. And they were doing stuff for, like, Tropicana. And they were also, that's where, this is the time period where Luxor, I think his name is Luxor, the uh, little light bulb, the little uh, desk lamp character that John Lasseter came up with. Or whoever, I, I, I don't know, I'm... 
I'm hard on the specifics. I don't know, remember who specific. I believe it was John Lasseter who came up with the idea of this little desk lamp character to kind of showcase what the computers could do. And it wasn't until that period where they were like in talk with Disney and they were really pushing the animation line that they switched from their faltering sales division to just being a studio. And eventually they started doing little shorts for the commercials and whatnot. And then Disney commissioned them to do three, a three picture deal, starting with the first ever fully computer animated, animated picture, fully computer animated picture. And that's Toy Story. That was their first major motion picture and it made history and it, and even Steve Jobs was ready to sell the company and be done with it. And then Toy Story got good buzz going. And then when it premiered, it blew, you know, that was, the, I mean, it blew everything out of the water. And every, and everybody was all about this new Pixar company. And at the same time, Steve Jobs and the people who were the head of Pixar were kind of butting heads with Disney over creative control. And, you know, over business deals, like the three pick, like they wanted to do, Disney wanted a 60 minute direct to video sequel because that was what they were doing at the time with their animated pictures. And Pixar didn't want to do that. So they took Toy Story 2 and made it part of their three picture deal. And so we got Toy Story, A Bug's Life and Toy Story 2. That led into Disney kind of continuing that weird little distribution relationship, but they were always kind of like there wasn't like there wasn't officially like Pixar was never officially owned by Disney until about I want to say 2010. And it by you know, until then it was always just Pixar being distributed by Disney. And that was the period that got us. Finding Nemo, The Incredibles, Monsters Incorporated, Ratatouille, Cars, Wally, -E. and after Up is kind of when I started to notice the change. We got Toy Story three, which was a phenomenal bookend to the series, but Brave was I wasn't when I heard, first heard Brave announced as the Bear and the Bow, I was completely sold. I thought it was going to be a mystical look into Scottish folklore is going to be about the wisps and it was going to be about a lot of this mysticism and mythology surrounding Scott, you know, about around from Scotland. And after, there was this weird production, like mishap where like everybody got canned and new people were brought in and had to fix the whole thing. And that's, where we eventually got what became Brave. And there's little remnants of the Scottish mysticism in there, but it became more about a mother and daughter story. And Brave was good. Like, both Brave and Frozen, I think, are kind of in that weird... Because those were also two movies that suffered big production, like mishaps where it was like the entire story had to be changed around and any, you know, this whole previous draft had to be scrapped and done from the beginning again. And I think that's why I never got fully into them. Like I like 
what the final product is. But I feel like where they were going was also this good idea that could have made for an equally good, if not better, movie. And I feel like the cutbacks were almost to its detriment. But that's just me. I mean, there are people who still love Brave as for what it is. And eh, I, I like the style of Brave more than I like the movie itself, you know? Like, it's the imagery is better than the execution, I feel like. And then that got followed with Cars 2 and Monsters University and really the only kind of uptick in all this time since 2010 was Inside Out, which was which was going along with what Pixar was known for, which is these imaginative, creative stories. And, you know, this it was this world where it was like you, you could never imagine anybody besides Pixar coming up with the idea of the emotions are the characters and it takes place inside your own head. I mean, that's been done before. That's not an... It's not a new concept. Herman's Head did it. Nostalgia Critic commented that Osmosis Jones also tackled the concept. I feel like Inside Out, the only way to really... Pixar was one of those studios where you could give them that same idea that you got with Herman's Head and Osmosis Jones and come out with an infinitely superior product. That's what Pixar has been known for, for taking these ideas, you know... Toy, what do toys do when you're not looking? What's the real life of the monsters under the bed? You know, what about a movie that's just about a, a robot cleaning up the apocalypse and he never talks for the most part? They do change that up a bit, but I really dug what they ended up with Wally. But yeah, I mean, they that Inside Out was really that kind of nice little return to form for Pixar. And unfortunately, that was followed up the same year with The Good Dinosaur, which had its own production setbacks. The entire story was scrapped, and there was, you know, a draft, like the working draft of the script was, was thrown out, and they had to rewrite it. The entire cast, I think like six months before the premiere, was, re- was, was fired, and the entire... And, I mean, the entire cast was fired and recast that same year leading into its premiere. And I feel like between, you know, I feel like those lost movies that were in the works before, like, I don't even know what happened, either like a budget thing or somebody, up, some executive didn't like where the thing was going and he scrapped the whole thing that happens in TV all the time. And... Whatever happened, but th- whatever happened to what the good dinosaur was going to be is gone. And we ended up with a ultimately inferior product where it's not, you know, it's, it's kind of on par with a lot of the m- middle of the road Disney movies. But compare the good dinosaur to something like The Land Before Time by Don Bluth. And it doesn't, and the good dinosaur is blown out of the water by this movie that came out 20 years before it. 20, maybe even 30 years before it. And I guess that's the issue is 
something happened in that acquisition by Walt Disney, either this change in executive order where somebody knew was in charge or some something happened. Something happened behind the scenes, and people speculated this all the time, but when you talk to animators and you talk to directors and you talk to the creative staff at Pixar, they say it hasn't changed that much. It's still about putting the characters first, putting the story first. They don't go into sequel the same way that other studios go into sequel, just wanting to make money. I mean, John Lasseter, when he makes those Cars movies, he is passionate about those Cars movies, even when nobody else is, apparently. Because that's the thing. I don't know anybody else that's as passionate about Cars as John Lasseter is. And all, and that kind of sucks when there's this passion project you're working on and nobody cares. Like, people are actively like, this is the worst thing Pixar has ever done. And it's like, but, but it's my thing. This was my baby. I made it. <laughs> Oh, poor John Lasseter. I feel for I feel for that. I, that kind of sucks when it's your passion and it's your and it's your and it's your brain baby. It's your mind baby that you birthed into the world. And when you show it to everybody, they're like, "Ew, that's the that's that's hideous. What an ugly baby. Get the disgusting thing away from us. That's awful. How could you do that, you monster? But but it's my baby. <laughs> but it's my baby. Please love it like I do. Uh anyway. Yeah, whatever happened that shifted that decision to playing more inside of the box, not going, because, I mean, there was, I was looking up, okay, there was only really the one canceled project, at least according to Wikipedia, and it was this interesting idea called Newt. And Newt was scrapped because they didn't want it to be compared to Blue Sky's Rio, which was essentially the same story. Only instead of two blue parrots in the in the Brazilian rainforest, it was two it was two little newts in a science lab, and it was but it was essentially the same story of the two of the two last male and female of the species having to you know fall in love with each other and keep and procreate and continue the species line, and I get why they scrapped that it sucks and i hope they return to that because i think once i think given a few years after rio it'll be completely forgotten i mean there will be fans but i don't think people are talking about rio the same way you hear people still talking about the incredibles or finding nemo or toy story you know they there's so much pixar does that continues to be talked about for the most part that you don't really hear about with like DreamWorks characters or with that, you know, like with Rio and the Ice Age characters from Blue Sky. Nobody really thinks of them very highly, even though they continue to make money and continue to make sequels. And I feel like Pixar, the one thing Pixar does have is, yeah, they do put the character and the story first when they do these sequels. And if you compare... Monsters U, Finding Dory, and the Toy Story... Like, the Toy Story sequels were... A, were Each one improved on the last. You know, Toy Story 2 had a better story than Toy Story 1. And better animation. Toy Story 3 had an even better animation quality and an even better storyline. And it was a perfect bookend. 
And you compare that to the sequels you get with DreamWorks and Blue Sky and all these different other studios like Warner Brothers. Like the sequels you get from them are very half-assed. They jump the shark quickly. Like it only took two sequels for them to introduce dinosaurs into Ice Age. And Shrek was doing It's a Wonderful Life by the fourth movie. So, I mean, it, yeah, it was, and they were, they were, so, I mean, they were already scraping King Arthur and Merlin for the third movie. And then all, then they turn it into, it's a wonderful life with Rumpelstiltskin for the fourth one. That's when they're scraping the bottom of the barrel for fairy tale characters to try and continue this franchise after it had long, after it stayed, you know, after it had already overstayed its welcome. And I feel like Pixar hadn't done it. Like I said, Fighting Dory is not by far Pixar's best work, but compared to what animation studios try to do with sequels when it's a when it's a business decision, it's infinitely better than anything that you've seen by its competitors. But at the same time, when we've gotten the Finding Door and we've gotten the Monsters University, those never really stick with us the same way those originals did. And I feel like the effort that was put into those would have been better put into a new idea. And I feel like Pixar does its best when it tries to maintain those new ideas. But at the same time, not all the new ideas work. I mean, Brave had a bunch of production problems that that ultimately kind of made it not, you know, kind of messed with what the final product was. And it was kind of cobbled together the same way The Good Dinosaur was. And they both... I mean, The Good Dinosaur was the biggest flop for Pixar. Bigger flop than even Cars 2, and the Cars 2 was the biggest critical flop and financial flop for the longest time. And The Good Dinosaur was a critical, you know, was middle of the road for critics, but was a financial flop compared to Inside Out, which premiered earlier that year. So while not all the ideas are going to work, like Cars... Cars, nobody were. Cars didn't work for most people outside of John Lasseter. Brave didn't work for me. The Good Dinosaur didn't work for me. But I feel like Pixar is at its best when it tries new things. You know, Toy Story aside, where they continued upon, you know, building on this franchise and making it better than anybody thought it would be, being that it was this, you know, it was essentially a test drive. It was the computer animated version of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, where like people were thinking, you can't make an animated movie with computers. That was the same. Those were the same people that um, 60 years ago were saying, you can't make an entire movie with drawings. <laughs> How could you do that? You couldn't draw an entire movie. And Walt Disney did that. And Toy Story did that for computer animated movies. And now everything is animated with computers, whether or not it's, Flash animated or digitally rendered and in three-dimensional space. So yeah, Toy Story was this really groundbreaking movie and every sequel has kind of built on that. But I feel like trying to continue that story is ultimately going to, you know, backfire for them. And I feel like that's the thing. And the real one that deserved the sequel, I think, was Incredibles because it's a superhero movie superhero movies are the easiest to make sequels for, you'd think 
with all the sequels they're doing, how did it take this long for Brad Bird to come up with something for Incredibles 2? But who knows? It's all behind-the-scenes stuff we never hear about. But yeah, there's only going to be one new property in the next four years planned, or at least announced, by Pixar and Disney. And three of them are sequels with only one new IP. And that new IP was already kind of beaten to... (laughs) The same way that Newt was beaten by Rio, this new one they're doing with Dia de los Muertos was already kind of beaten to them by this great team of Mexican, you know, storytellers and artists and actors. And I think it was like produced by like Guillermo del Toro. And yeah, book, if you haven't seen it, book of life is, I really, you know, it was one of my favorite movies to come out in 2015. It really is a fun time, but I'm definitely interested to see how Pixar tells that setting, because it's not going to be the same. But given that this Dia de los Muertos movie is essentially kind of piggybacking off of or leapfrogging off of the Book of Life, I would like to see their take on what Rio did. Because Rio, I felt, caved into a lot of animated movie tropes like Sing along, making it a sing along musical and making it all about flashy dances and about how like it's the bird, you know, look at the birds dancing and oh, pretty colors. And it feels like, uh, you know, that that that's a thing in animated movies where with nothing else, they'll just show characters dancing to pop music. And while it was better than better that they did it with, you know, samba and, you know, Brazilian music, it's still characters dancing and singing to music and that's easy anybody can do that i would like to see that story developed the way pixar was going with newt that's what i want to see you know i want to see them try go go their own way again i want to see them kind of go back to basics so to speak you know no more no more sequels or prequels all new ideas whatever works works but you know, full steam ahead the same way we were going before, because that's what worked. At least, I mean, that's just what I would do if I was, <laughs> if I had any say in the matter. It's, hey, you know what worked? Let's do that. No more sequels or prequels unless you got something, like, fantastic. I mean, it have it would have to, a sequel would have to blow me out of the water. It would have to, like, mind explosivo for it to get past. But, you know, that's just me. That's just my thoughts on Pixar. Hopefully they can kind of get that mojo working again and it's not going to be Disney's sequel factory the same way that those, you know, the directed video sequels that they did in the 90s had the same way they did with those directed video sequels in the 90s and early 2000s. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. Okay, that does it for this week. So it's time for those plugs. If you are listening to this podcast, you are probably listening to it on SoundCloud. The home of Popcorn Junkie is SoundCloud.com slash Popcorn dash Junkie. So if you want to share that with your friends, that address again is SoundCloud.com slash Popcorn dash Junkie. And 
If you want to help the podcast, you can also subscribe to it on iTunes. The other home for Popcorn Junkie is the iTunes store. Just go to the iTunes podcast store and look up Popcorn Junkie, and you'll see my orange mug chomping on popcorn staring at the movie screen. All you have to do is subscribe to the podcast, and you get every new episode as they come out. And if you really want to help the podcast, you'll give us a five-star rating and review. Five-star ratings and reviews shows iTunes that you really dig the podcast and you want more people to know about it. So if you want to help the podcast out, even if you're not subscribed, just go to the iTunes store and leave a five-star rating and review, and I will read any five-star ratings and reviews on the podcast, and thank you, and thank you over the airs, or over the internet, I guess. Anyway... If you also want to help the podcast out financially, you can subscribe to us on Patreon and leave a monthly donation on patreon.com slash popcornjunkie. There are entire tiers for people who want to donate however much per month to Popcorn Junkie, and you can really help this podcast grow. The first goal right now is to add a secondary podcast called Make a Better Movie, where every week I will talk about a movie series or franchise that I would go back as either a writer, a director, or a producer and tweak in a certain way to help make it a better movie. So So I could do it for things like Finding Dory, Brave, The Good Dinosaur, or other things I've listed out for for that series, Include Age of Ultron, Fantastic Four, the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, the Friday the Thirteenth franchise, weird little weird little movies like Seventh Son and The Last Witch Hunter. Ways to improve on those movies. So, if you want to make that a podcast, all you have to do is don't leave a monthly donation on Patreon.com/popcornjunkie, and there are all kinds of rewards for any tier of donation that you want to leave. Or if you just want to. Follow the podcast and share it with your friends. Go to facebook.com slash popcornjunkie, and there you can follow any updates on the podcast, as well as previews for new releases as I am leaving the theater. So, just go to facebook.com slash popcornjunkie, and like that page for any updates on the podcast. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter. I have started leaving little trailer reviews before each screening of every new movie. So if you want to hear my thoughts on things like the BFG, Pete's Dragon, there was uh, The Infiltrator with Brian Cranston and Michael Pena about Pablo Escobar. You know, as the trailers come out for all these new movies, if you want to hear my initial thoughts on them, follow at Pod on Twitter to hear those, and you'll also get to the Facebook feed directly to Twitter. And the last way you can get a hold of this podcast is by emailing us at popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. Send us an email with any kind of feedback or criticism or comments or praises. Whatever you want to say to the podcast, just send it to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. That does it for this week. Until next time. I'm John Bailey, and even the worst Pixar movie is infinitely better than its competition. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by The M on SoundCloud.com for more of his music. Artwork for Popcorn Junkie provided by Nafio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his art.
Hani, hani, quella che è. Quella che è. No more lacking. No more lacking.